You're listening to Drums Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Boromir. Hi everyone, it's Saya and I'm on my own today. Ooh, uh. <laughs> I hope that this is fun. I don't know how it's going to go, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I've been watching lots of things and I need to talk about them. Or at least I thought I should talk about them since I am also putting off uh, editing the episode that should be coming out next, but may not be. So just in case, this is my, uh, you know... <laughs> slipping the envelope under the door just in case. I hope you are all well and it's been a year, hasn't it? It's crazy how quickly time goes. So here we are on the butt end of 2023. <sighs> Looking back on what a varied and strange and interesting year 2023 has been but that is for the year and yak and I'm not going to spoil it and I'm not allowed to and I'll be in trouble if I do so I won't <laughs> so I got a bunch of dramas I want to talk about let's start 2023년 최고 경영인상 수상이 있겠습니다. 대학교 때 디저트 회사를 차렸는데 7년 만에 업계 1위로 만들었어요. 안녕하세요. 도도입니다. 나는 1위랑 결혼했어요. 남자한테 관심이 1도 없... 없어요. 대표님하고 정구원 씨 수상하지 않냐? 내가 보기에 둘이 사귀는 게 분명해. 손좀 주지? 하지 뭐. 가뜩이는 사람들이 우리 사회 의심하는데. 나도 사회 생활이라는 게 있는데. 곤란하다고. 너도 곤란하잖아. 글쎄. 난 상관없어. Firstly, and I blame the BTS group chat for this, <laughs> we have My Demon, which I know everybody is watching and I'm super, super late. And at the time of recording, it's eight episodes in and I am four episodes in. And yeah, so the BTS group chat, which is me, Borma and uh, the friend, they're just like, they're the, both the two of them are always talking about dramas that I'm not watching because they're also, they're both of course, you know that Borma is a big C-drama person. And despite her having the highest success rate uh, out of all the people I know of pulling me into watching things, I still only have a limited um, function that is available for being dragged into dramas. And so they're having their C-drama fet and I am having a ton of FOMO. And the other day they started talking about my demon. <laughs> so, you know, the FOMO took over. But you know how they really got me? So our friend was like, you know who Sun Kang reminds me of? Jin. <sighs> they can always get me with Jin. BTS Jin, in case you didn't know. <laughs> so our friend was saying that, you know, this is his best hair ever. And he's got that whole sort of classic handsome guy Jin look going. And so I was like, okay, fine, let me go and take a look because I'm curious enough. And um, yeah, no, not Jin. <laughs> Worldwide Handsome remains Worldwide Handsome. And, um, and there's a thing about Song Kang, which 
okay, I had to quickly look up what else he's been in just to check what I've watched him in. Um, I have only watched him in Navalera, although I've kind of seen him around, you know, like a neighborhood Tongseng. <laughs> he's been around. He's just not been in the dramas I've watched. Um, so I just have this impression of him that he's one of those actors who can do what he can do. And so this is a classification I use now. So, you know, he can do what he can do. Which is to say that he is good with roles that let him do what he can do. Sorry, I'm just repeating myself now. Um, but I don't know that I can see him in more complex roles. And I, I guess, you know, in fairness, I haven't seen him in more complex roles. And sometimes I'll read a premise and I'll be like, eh... I don't know. Like in Forecasting Love and Weather, I didn't love the pairing of him with uh, Pang Min Young. And just, you know, like that. And I did catch the the sort of aftermath of that where people didn't seem to love it, although they also didn't seem to hate it. But, you know, I'm very much a, if, if the response to a drama is lukewarm, it's not going to make me interested to go and then catch it. Although I'm also <laughs> that person where if it has too much hype, I still won't go and catch it. Am I right, Anissa? <sighs> and I didn't watch Sweet Home because I don't watch scary dramas because I'm a scaredy cat. And I didn't watch Nevertheless because that also came with those kinds of, you know, the initial response was, well, this could be really interesting. It's like this really emotionally complicated drama where people aren't quite, you know, they aren't great, but that's the the interestingness of the drama came from the characters being kind of horrible or messed up. And like, you know, the ways in which messed up people mess with each other, which is a genre, if you like it. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Like when I tried to watch uh, Duna recently, and I didn't love it because it was that kind of drama, but I had gone into it thinking it was like this epic romance because I read a review on like, no, I saw a review on Instagram, the place I spend no time. But the one time I did, I saw this review and I was like, okay. And I instantly went and watched it. And I was like, this, this, this isn't, this isn't the epic grand sweeping romance that I thought it was going to be, that it was sold to me as. It was instead this kind of quite heavy, dark, toxic kind of relationship, which I wasn't in the right place for when I watched it. That's not to say it doesn't have its merits or and that it can't have its merits or that there won't be a right time for me to watch it or that if I had gone into it knowing it was that kind of drama, I might have responded differently. But it wasn't. I wasn't. I dropped it. Kind of considering going back to it now that I've uh, reset my mental expectations of it and it's like recalibrated my sense of what that drama is. And now I'm thinking, oh, that could be interesting, actually. But I digress. Back to Songgang and my demon. So, yeah, came into this with, you know, sometimes you see uh, actor pairings and you're just like, eh, I don't know how that's going to work. I haven't been excited about a Kim Yo-jung project for a while either because she had a string of dramas that, again, I didn't love. Like, I think I first got put off from Clean With Passion for now because she was still quite young then. Like, she had just turned 18 or something or 19 or whatever. 
Um, and then she was already being paired with like men in their 30s and they just didn't like it. And, you know, then she was paired with Ji Chang-wook and that whole drama, like Backstreet Rookie had its own, you know, we've talked about it. It had all of that. And I think the last drama that I did love her in was uh, Moonlight Drawn by Clouds, the one with Park Bogum. Um, That was a while ago. But the thing is, Kim Yoo-jung always delivers. She's an amazing actress. She She's very natural. She's able to just completely own her roles and inhabit them completely. I just didn't necessarily like what those roles were. Like, I remember there was a, a specific couple of scenes in Clean With Passion that was just like, oh, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to see this teenage woman, girl, girl, woman, <laughs> I don't know, teenage person, um, you know, set up as bait for pred- for sexual predators. That was not something that I wanted to see. And I felt like it was a deliberate framing of this, you know, nubile young actress in, you know, it was, I, I don't have words. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> I just didn't like it and I didn't want to watch it. But she's quite a few years older now and her co-stars seem to, you know, in Songgang, her co-stars gotten younger. And so they're much closer in age and that's a much better dynamic to me. I wasn't sure that Songgang had the ability to hold his own against Kim Yoo-jung because, you know, girl's a genius in many ways when it comes to her ability to bring a role to life. So, my demon, I'm sure you know the premise at this point because everybody in the universe is watching it except me. Dodohi is the name of Kim Yoo Jung's character, and she's kind of like a chosen heir to a Chebol group, although she herself is not like blood related to this group. She's been adopted into the family by the matriarch and Hwejangnim of the clan, who is played by Kim Hesuk, you know, the mother of Drama Land. So, this is a great relationship. The way that, you know, these two veteran actors play off each other is such a a pleasure to see. It's like, you know, they're both zinging and they're just, they're, they're totally in tune with each other, with their characters. And there's this, uh, you know, the chemistry, the chemistry between the two is wonderful. And, the you know, the trust that actors have in each other to embody their role completely. You can see that trust come alive in the interactions between these two. It's really, really good. I had forgotten that this drama was from the writer of Mr. Queen, Chayail. Um, and it's been on my radar for a while, but as it finally came out, I think I was just a little bit exhausted. And I didn't feel ready to take on uh, a premise that needed me to think a bit. Uh, as it turns out, it's not that hard, <laughs> if anyone else is feeling that same way. So uh, Songgang plays this demon who has to uh, engage humans in contracts where they basically sell him their soul and he grants their wishes. And you learn pretty quickly, so I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler because you find it out within like the first episode or two, that he's not necessarily boundlessly immortal there are conditions to his longevity and the thing is we don't know what that is and he doesn't know what that is and the you know the drama unfolds this as you keep watching uh but what he does have is he has special demon powers which are like symbolized or uh circuited through uh, a tattoo that he has and somehow this tattoo transfers from him 
to Kim Yoo-jung in a, in a situation and he loses his direct access to his powers and can only use them when he's with her and like physically touching her. So that, you know, that's the premise. That's the whole why they need to be close to each other. Um, I forgot that this was also a contract marriage, although we haven't arrived there yet. But I'm actually really enjoying that we haven't arrived there yet because, oh man, let me tell you, the writing of this drama is really quite exquisite and it is brought to life by the way that these two are delivering it. Like, so much of the dialogue is so sharp. It's so, like, nalkaron, you know, like, razor-like dialogue that is just delightful to sort of munch on. Um, I don't know if that's... <laughs> if that's it's just like, this is how I feel it. It's how I'm experiencing it. And what's interesting about this show is, like, stylistically... Okay, so the way the show opens, it's very reminiscent of Goblin, and deliberately so, I'm quite sure there's, you know, there's no way that's accidental... Like, literally, its opening shot is a guy in a trench coat shrouded in mist with a, an inexplicable backlight <laughs> walking towards Kim Yoo-jung. And, you know, it's that iconic image that you have from Goblin, you know, when uh, when Reaper and Goblin walk out of the night. And that's very obviously uh, a reference to that. But the delightful part of what my demon does is that it builds these really dramatic moments of like emotion and tension and like it ratchets it all up and you're like getting to this crescendo and then like the beat drops but like it's it expertly undercuts its own dramatic moments with absurdity and it's just great because you can do this and you can do it badly and that's when people get, you know, tonal whiplash. But this is how it should be done. Like you pull the emotions out of people, you, you know, you bring them to this crest where they're ready for that cathartic moment. They're ready for the great, like the emotional beat. But instead of it sort of pulling you up and then like letting you go, it just takes a knife and it slashes it and you're like huh <laughs> but it's not whiplash you're like delighted by the way that the way that you're dropped because that absurdity fits so well because it's a it's a self-awareness like you know the drama knows what it's doing to you and then it's choosing to invert that and give it give you the kind of completely opposite dish to the one that you ordered but you still want it <laughs> I don't know I'm mixing all of my metaphors but like you know what I'm saying right oh. there's also like an underlying mystery which you know has this figure who's doing stuff that's not very clear at all but there's a bad guy who's going around killing people of course you know what would a drama be without some murder especially a chebol drama um but the way that mystery is laid out is very um succulent <laughs> I don't know I'm using all the words today um it's it's well paced I think is what I'm trying to say like the the way that the mystery is presented to you is 
enticing without being obnoxious. Because you know how sometimes uh, like a drama will tease a mystery and you're just annoyed with it because it's playing with you but not treating you like it doesn't respect you. And I feel that the way the mystery is constructed in this drama, it, it respects the viewer's intelligence. This is a drama that is confident in your ability to put things together. And even if you don't want to do that, you can still enjoy it. Like that's how it's constructed and I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> there's also just, there's so much great dialogue. Did I already say that? I think I already said that. Yeah, I've been like taking down some of this dialogue just because it's so well written, man. Uh, sometimes, you know, again, I think this might become one of those dramas where I'm like, oh, I wish I had written some of these lines. You know, initially I thought Songkang lacked the charisma to pull off a role like this, like I could see a role like this being in the hands of uh, a more experienced, more accomplished actor and being elevated by it. But I also think he's doing a great job. Um, I think the show is giving him so much scaffolding, the directing, the editing, all of that is really, um, like if he has shortcomings in those respects, the show isn't letting him down on that like they're not expecting him to carry the entire show and that's good um because I think it also allows him to develop some charisma because I do think that he doesn't have as strong a screen presence as some other actors who are closer to him in age or experience but you know charisma is something you can learn and I think one of the things that if you watch closely, I feel you can feel the absence of it is this lack of gravitas. And I don't know if that's just because he doesn't have one of those sort of gravelly voices and that particular, that delivery that that sort of brings the gravitas. Um, but even without that, he's doing a really good job in this role. And I feel like it's allowing him to uh, learn some of it, which you know, a different type of role might not allow him to. That kind of weight, the weight of years. You know, the kind of, if you think of how Gongyu and Idonguk bring this like incredible sadness to their characters that sort of exists inside them even when they're being very funny. Like there's, I guess the best way to put it is the sort of the weight of years, the, the burden of a long life. And, you know, someone who's experienced deep grief and loss and all of that. Some, you know, there are actors who are able to bring that level of complexity into their roles. And there's some who who are not or have not yet learned how to. And basically, Song Kang is doing a good job. I'm really enjoying him in this role. And I hope, like, there's moments where he has it, where he... he He's not able to tap it at will, I feel, at this point, but he is also learning how to do it, and that's very satisfying to watch. Uh, also, uh, Kim Tae-hoon is back. I haven't seen him in a drama for a long time. Of course, I expect him to be either evil or a marshmallow. <laughs> um, I won't spoil it, even though I'm probably the only person who doesn't know yet. <laughs> I'm really into this drama I am very uh excited about like every 
line and every scene and every I kind of don't even care oh no that's not true I do care I do care how it turns out but I'm also very satisfied with sort of nomming through this scene by scene because it's just very filling and um, nom 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 <laughs> uh, we love to use sound effects <laughs> okay so that was my demon Nora the next drama I want to talk about is Death's Game, which is a drama starring Soinguk and Pak Sodam, and it's adapted from a webtoon, which I found out after I watched the first four episodes. So I realized <laughs> that this is not on a weekly airing schedule it is like it dropped four episodes uh last week and that was part one and it's going to drop its part two which i think is the next four episodes in january which is annoying and then i wouldn't have watched all four back to back because i thought oh the, the next episodes are gonna be next week i would have waited and now i have to deal with the fact that oh my god these cliffhangers are killing me <sighs> why did all of the good dramas come at the end of the year <laughs> oh. so death game one can i say how nice it is to see pak Sodam back in drama land and healthy and i'm just really happy she's better uh if you don't know she had thyroid cancer and then she had surgery for it and she's she'd been recovering and now she's back on our screens and my sister said that her voice has changed i don't remember what her voice was like before and i didn't go and check but um she always had quite a husky voice right but in any case this is i feel like a new kind of role for her she's playing death <laughs> she's playing death um you know one of those sort of not capricious but you know how when you have these sort of super human, uh, super powered characters that are like, you know, immortals or whatever, and they have this kind of um, emotionless, uh, as a human you would interpret it as cruel, but she's just like, you know, she's beyond petty human feelings, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's a great role for her. And of course, Soinguk is, you know, that man's a chameleon. He can do anything. Um, I am really enjoying the way 
Okay, so here's the thing with this drama is it's very dark. It's really dark. It's really violent. Um, and it's pretty graphic uh, in its violence. So might not be for you. I didn't realize that when I started watching it because it's also not for me. But now it's like... <laughs> I'm into it. I know the like the plot is so compelling. Um what you have is Soinguk plays a man who has just everything has gone wrong for him in life and he just can't do it anymore and he decides to end his life. And that doesn't go to plan either. <laughs> it's like there's this sort of uh the the there's a tragic comedy thing where I mean it's not really funny it's actually it's kind of the gallows humor kind of like just everything is going wrong to the point where he just he just can't anymore and the way that desperation makes you flippant um that that's Winguk so he he lands in this sort of nether nether space where he is sort of neither living nor is he in the after afterlife, but he is just in this in between place where he meets death, who is offended uh, or angered by the the flippant way in which he treats, you know, life and death. <sighs> this is the point where I kind of have a problem. Uh, there've been, there's definitely been a couple of dramas that have done this where I'm just, I feel like the this conversation about what people should or shouldn't do has to begin with what kind of world have we created for those people what kind of support have we failed to give them what kind of burden have we put on them like you don't get to ju just say to people how dare you do this um you have to create a society and a community that helps people get up and to, to give people what they need to not be desperate so to then have a show that is premised on punishing someone for daring to uh give up so there is that troubling element of punishing a desperate person who's already kind of had the worst possible life that he could have and you know kicking someone when they're down like it it's doing this whole I felt like initially it was just punching down and that that's just not helpful you know so there's that and then there's the show going yeah actually <laughs> and through the characters it asks those questions and it acknowledges the sort of the intrinsic problem of that premise and and the way that it turns it is actually really interesting um because i think it's really important like in a drama when you characterize somebody that you're able to sort of turn them you know around like you, you know if you imagine you've got like a a cube in your hands and you're turning it this way and you're turning it that way that you should be able to turn one face and see ah this is also some uh, you know a side that we didn't know about before and then the drama continues to reveal a different face each time you turn it and i think it's doing a really interesting job of that with soenguk's character because 
like what you see isn't everything. You know, dramas say say that to us all the time. But what you see, like the initial, um, the initial way that his narrative is presented, which is sort of his first person view, isn't a complete narrative. And so it's not exactly that it, he's an unreliable narrator. It's just that he's an incomplete narrator. And so what Paktodam's character does, like as death. Um, and through the experiences that she puts him through is that she provides a kind of a third person, fourth person, fifth person narrative of sort of all of the facets of who Ije is as a character is revealed to us through his interactions with the with other people who were in his life or the people whose life he's taken on. Oh, I haven't even said the premise yet. So what happens is he's in this netherworld and um, Death sent, uh, 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 them as Death sentences him to experience 12 more deaths um, as like his punishment. And he will be put into the uh, life of a person who is um, about to die like each life that he gets is on like a moment of impending death but he doesn't know anything else apart from that um and it's up to him to try to prevent those deaths and if he's able to prevent the death of the person that he's inhabiting at that time he gets to keep the life and he he just gets to live so each time he is in a body he gets well, I don't want to spoil it actually. Um okay, so let's say he he has to figure things out. Um I also want to say a word about the structure of the drama, like the narrative structure of the drama. It's really, really well done. Um so they have these cold opens, and initially I thought it was one thing, and then like episode by episode, they would add a little more to that that cold open scene. And by the fourth episode, by the end of the fourth episode, which is the end of part one, you got this sort of the, the full, the last part of the puzzle was finally placed and you understood, oh my God. And then like, you know, you get that moment of every hair on your body standing up and it's just like, oh, so that's really, really well done. So the way that the, the story is sort of drip fed to you that the plot is drip fed to you but each piece is really important and no matter what you know until you have the final piece you don't understand what the picture is uh, you need to get to the end to be able to look back and say oh <laughs> um and so there's this sort of uh undertone uh, of heavy dark emotion that runs through it because what you have is also like a, a semi-revolving door of um you know special appearances from actors for example like you had uh, Shiwon you had Ido Hyun um you had a couple of other people I can't remember right now but if you think of that drama with um what's his name uh, Lee Min-gi and So Hyun Jin oh what's the drama called Beauty Inside Beauty Inside um if you think of that drama it's kind of like I mean, I haven't watched Beauty Inside. I just generally know the premise and also that book, the David Levithan book, uh, Every Day, where, you know, you wake up in a different body every day. Um, it's kind of like 
I, I feel like that's the grounding premise. You know, he is resurrected in a different uh, about-to-die person with each life. Um, and what you begin to realize as the story goes on is that the people that he is resurrected within could be connected. Or, you know, these are the the suppositions that you make as you watch. Like, we're theorizing, oh, so, you know, this person is connected to him in this way. And there's, like, it's a picture that becomes clearer with every episode, with every scene. Things add up. But there's also that continuous thread beneath it all that it is him, that it is uh, EJ who is living out these lives and there's some recurring themes there that maybe spoilers if I say them, so I probably should withhold on that for now. Um, all of that said, I do have some complaints, um, some of them structural, some of them about the character. Uh, sometimes the drama does really nonsense things and you're just like, what? How? That doesn't make sense. Um, for example, in, in one life, he, um, oh, I don't want to spoil it. Is this spoiling? Okay, let's say this is a spoiler. Just, uh, skip ahead about 30 seconds or so. So he's, he's in prison and there's a fight with the prisoners and there are no guards anywhere even though they're like using these dangerous power tools <laughs> and i'm just like seriously like that that doesn't make any sense but then it also sort of it fits in and it makes sense with the tone of the drama that you know he basically acts totally unhinged in the way that only someone who has nothing to lose can um so that that's one of my complaints. Uh, it makes sense that he acts unhinged. It doesn't make sense that some of those situations just allow th all sorts of nonsense to happen. The other thing, the character thing that is kind of annoying me, um, although this was kind of in the middle and maybe this has been somewhat resolved by the end of part one, is that um, it doesn't seem like... Like, he doesn't seem to learn between one life and the next. Like, why did he go to a party like he had time to party? Why is he planning to just, like, take off and do his own thing like there isn't something for him to do in this incarnation to, to you know, stop himself getting killed? But this just, like, sometimes he acts with a kind of absolute idiocy where you're just like, why are you doing that? Have you not, like... Have you not learned anything from like the multiple deaths that you've experienced at this point and the desperation that you feel when you're in the netherworld? Like, how are you still acting this blasé and this foolishly? Um, but then again, this, like, I had this thought before something really, like, the, the most serious arc of uh, part one happened. Um, it also annoys me that he hasn't seemed to have picked up that like these lives are connected, but maybe that's for part two. <laughs> um, and like if we go back to sort of the image of of turning the cube in your hands, the everything that death charges him with, you know, selfishness, lack of forethought, lack of care, lack of empathy, all of those things are true. And that's what you realize as you watch him. And that's what he comes to realize. And I guess, okay, character development, it happened. End of part one. <laughs> 
oh, how am I going to wait for part two? It's still like more than two weeks away. I'm so annoyed. Why did I watch it so soon? Okay, so that's that. Excuse me, do I know you? What are you doing? The next show I want to talk about is the story of Park's marriage contract. This one stars Lee Se-young and Bain Hyuk, where Lee Se-young is a time traveler. She time travels forward to the future. I mean, I guess it's not quite accurate to say she's a time traveler as such. Um, by the way, go and watch Boromir's video essay on time traveling K-dramas and the magic versus the machine. I made that title up. Her title was much better, but I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. So this is what you get. Um, so what happens is uh, Lee Se-young is, she plays this character who is quite a... Uh, she's sort of anachronistic even for her time like she resembles much more like a you know a 21st century woman in her thinking than uh, a Joseon lady um uh, oh and her character name is Park Yonu and she's like this um what do you call it an underground dressmaker and she makes like racy underwear by which I mean short handbooks or like in a uh, like un- underclothes where they are beautifully embroidered and all of that um and that's like her side hustle and you know her day job is being a um a, a lady with a capital l so she has been uh running wild quite long enough and it's time for her to get married and she gets married to Someone who turns out to be a person she actually sort of met and fell for, and she's very surprised and very happy, kind of, I guess. But in any case, her husband is uh, Kang Teha, uh, played by Bane Hyuk, who dies on their wedding night before they even have their wedding night, which is quite sad and not for lack of trying. She did try very hard, but, <laughs> but you know, you can't always have some. So- <laughs> What am I saying? <laughs> so, so um, what happens is sometime later, uh, she gets kidnapped and thrown in a well. And the well transports her to the future, to 2023, where she pops out of a pool and is rescued by Kang Teha, uh, also played by Pei Hyuk, but who is the 2023 guy, not her original husband or is he who knows (laughs) anyway they end up entangled with each other and she realizes that she's meeting people who resemble the people from her uh Choson life and uh one thing leads to another and she ends up in a contract marriage with him oh and he's also a chibol heir because of course he is (laughs) and He's sort of locked in a battle with, I think she calls herself his mother, but 
she's not his stepmother. Both of his parents were killed in a crash, an accident. Some Anyway, both of his parents died when he was younger. Young? Younger? I don't know. In any case, <laughs> that character is played by Jin Kyung, who... Ah, man. So there's a thing about Jin Kyung. You know, sometimes... Like, for example, uh, if you listen to our Perfect Marriage Revenge episode, where we talked about Lee Min-young and Lee Mi-suk, the two mum characters in that drama, and, like, the way that they were delightfully evil, the thing with Jin Kyung is that she never... I don't recall her ever... Like, when she plays a villain... Her villains are never delightfully evil. Like, Jin Kyung has this quality of absolute hatefulness in her villain characters. Like, there's no charm. There's no chaos. There's just this sort of bleeding evil <laughs> that emanates from this woman. Like, there's there's nothing... There's no spark in her to like. There's nothing sympathetic in her. And even when you get to the drama's sort of last cough at trying to redeem whatever villain she's playing. I don't think the drummers really want you to feel bad or sorry for her. Like, maybe that's her specialty. Like, she's always cast to play that kind of villain. Um, she's the same here. There's just this absolute hatefulness to her. Which is the kind of hatefulness that makes me anxious when watching a drama. Like, it stresses me out. And, like, part of the reason why Perfect Marriage Revenge was actually really um, satisfying to watch is because of that, the charm of the villains. Um, like, that's a very sort of a, a drama-specific thing. It's part of how you dramatically present a story that you can make people hate the villains with a kind of uh, unbound joy. <laughs> like, like you're entertaining to watch in your villainy because there's a kind of a confidence and a trust that things will... Uh, like, you'll get your just desserts. And I feel like in this drama, her uh, Jin Kyung's evilness doesn't have that... It doesn't have that offset. Like, you know, that edge of... Fun that takes off the the sharpness of how how bad she is, so that makes it a slightly stressful watch, you know. When the villains keep on winning, um, there's also I have mixed feelings about this drama. I really like the idea of the premise, but I also feel like the drama is uh, asking me to do the work of telling the story without putting the work in itself. Like for example. Okay, one of the things that really bothers me is how the artifacts of Lee Seung's character being like a Joseon woman, they don't seem evident in a way that I find believable. Like she's, like there's a difference between adapting well and just not having that backstory. Um, for example, if you think of Queen Inhyun's man, which is, you know, very similar in that concept, uh, but gender reversed. Whenever you had um, Ji Hyunwoo's character, uh, Kim Bung-do, Kim Bung-do? Was that his name? Sorry, Parma, <laughs> don't, don't come for me. <laughs> um, there was always that, um, like, you never lost the sense of him being a person out of time. And he adapted super quickly and really well. Like, that was part of his um, 
a virtue, <laughs> I guess, as uh, as a character, as a scholar. And like Yi Xiang's character is presented the same way. She's very like learned. She's intelligent. She's resourceful, and she's able to think uh, like far ahead of her time. But she still should be out of time. Like she should still. Like we should still be able to tell this woman doesn't belong here or this woman isn't from here. But you very, very rarely get that. And the only times you get it are in these sort of um, moments of emotion of like people that she misses rather than practical life. It's like they forgot after a while that she was she was a Chosun lady. Um, and it like one of the obvious ways I feel that ought to be reflected, and I would have expected it to be reflected, was in like the clothes. You know, twenty first century clothes are absolutely scandalous by Joseon standards, and even if she made underwear, um, habit is a very powerful thing. You know, um, like for example, I probably cover as much as a Joseon lady, if not more. If one day. You know, I found myself in a society where, I mean, I actually do find myself in that society every day. But like, um, if I felt like, oh, I can dress like everyone else and I want to dress like everyone else, there would still, like, I would still have the inhibitions of habit. Like, I wouldn't be used to wearing, like, hot pants. Um, I wouldn't, even if I wore a short skirt, like, you know, calves are one thing, thighs are another, you know? <laughs> so that kind of thing just really breaks my uh, immersion in the story because I'm just like, you wouldn't. I mean, maybe you would, but, you know, I don't know. So there's that. And then there's, yeah, then there's the whole sort of shortcutting emotions. And this is what I feel like, uh, this is what put me off that, oh, that Rowan drama, you know, the one with, uh, what's her name, Pug and Bin, The King's Affection. They're giving you these romantic moments without giving you the scaffolding that would take you to the point where you feel the same way. Like, you can't just, like, frame this romantic moment as this epic uh, love story whatever but I don't know how you got there and I'm not feeling what you're wanting me to feel and part of that I think comes from the annoyance from my annoyance over like the way other parts of the story have been told um like in the last pair of episodes this is just so stupid I was so angry I was so angry I paused I went to my sister's room and was like this drama is awful. Why are they doing this? I had a good shout and then I came back <laughs> and I carried on watching. But basically, can we like can we just leave some of these 2010s tropes in 2010s? Because like the noble it's not noble idiocy, it's just idiocy. Why are you being so stupid? Like can we stop doing this thing where oh, I have uh, a chronic or terminal illness so I'm not going to tell the person that I care about most who cares about me I'm just going to tell them I hate them and dump them <sighs> can we stop can we stop like that's not what people do like they'd be the first person you'd tell and you're you're an idiot and a fool if you think that somehow they like I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm like, I had to take my jumper off because I'm like hot with rage. Um, but it was like, it isn't only that. It's also coupled by the fact that like 10 minutes later, you've had a turnaround and 
now you're like, oh, I must tell her. And then like you dumped her five minutes ago and now you're about to marry her. Or wait, you're already married. But but this this is just completely pointless conflict. Just totally manufactured. You had this whole thing in your mind and you made up a story you went and you like played it out and then again all in your mind you were like well this is dumb or maybe you weren't but <laughs> i've just i've like lost all coherence i'm so i'm so annoyed with it can it ah and the annoying thing is among all the annoying things is that there is a good story there but you're wasting time by putting in these stupid manufactured conflicts that you just don't need like there's enough conflict here there's more than enough for you to oh hey so maybe this is the problem when you have 16 episodes to play with you're just like oh well we've got to fill this time so let's just throw this one in here and it's early like you're meant to do this in episode 12 not in episode 8 can you stop okay (laughs) Calm down. Okay, so I'm still watching it. It's still like the plot is really interesting. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just annoyed by these character choices, and I want them to stop being dumb. Hopefully, the second half will be better because they're running out of time. Like you're, you're now on the downhill slope of time left in the drama. So, be better, please, drama. So that is Park's marriage contract. <laughs> And the last drama I want to talk about is Welcome to Samdalli. I really like this one. <laughs> so this drama is set on Jeju Island and it stars Shin Heson and Ji Chang-wook and there's a kind of a Hanyeol backdrop to to the drama. Um, if you don't know what a Hanyeol is, I will link an article below if I can find it. Uh, they are like traditional dry they they are like the traditional women divers of Jeju who have really interesting stories but there's also like the kind of it's a dying industry I guess the point is it's not an industry this was like people's livelihoods but it's a it's a profession and a way of life that's kind of slowly petering out um because you know of industrialization and all of these things um uh, but that's a completely different story <laughs> the two main characters um Shin Hyeson plays a character called Cho Samdal and Ji Chang-wook plays a character called Cho Young-pil and these two are both the kids of Henyo's their mothers were best friends I think did I make that up? I might have made that up, but let's just no, no. Their mothers were best friends, and the kids were born on the same day. They grew up together. They, uh, they went off to Seoul together, to you know, find their fortunes or whatever. 
and they had, you know, they very naturally fell in love and had a wonderful relationship and then they broke up and like this like eight years ago in the drama timeline they had the most awful heartbreaking breakup and the story picks up eight years on from from this big breakup um and Samdal uh Shin Hassan's character is like this incredibly successful um celebrity photographer very sought after, very um, renowned. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Ji chang has returned to Jeju. There's this sort of um, a narrative that kind of runs through uh, this drama about like everyone who goes to Seoul, they always fail and they always come home. So in that sense, like Samdal is the pride of Jeju because she really made it big. And she's not coming back. <laughs> uh, except it all comes crashing down when she is hit with a uh, bullying allegation. Um, and that's all it takes. Like, you know, there's the trainee that she had under her, her like, uh, her hube, who she was training up, apparently attempted to kill herself due to the kapchil, the um, bullying, workplace bullying that she experienced from Sandal. This was her allegation. Uh, it's not true. That's not what happened. Um, but, so this is one of the interesting things the drama does that I really like that gives dimension and depth to Sandal's character, is that your reaction as a viewer is to immediately be like, you know what, that's not true. Like, that's not what happened. This is a false allegation. Um, and, you know, you watch Samda lose everything practically overnight. And she and her sisters, her two sisters uh, and her niece, go back to Jeju with their heads bowed, kind of like they flee Seoul. Um, but the thing that tortures Samdal isn't that she has lost everything to a vindictive... Uh, allegation what really tortures her is could it have been like was it really like did I really do that to someone did I drive someone did the way that I treated her cause her to be in such distress that she tried to take her own life and so in that sense I feel like the drama does justice to the gravity of you know because it it could have just ended at like oh there was this allegation that was made up and I think that that has a danger of robbing what happens in real life but the thing is both things happen in real life of course you know people do do that cup chill and they do get away with it and you know they can have the charm and the connections and the will to to sort of discredit the other person who has truly suffered, you know, at the hands of this more powerful person. Uh, and at the same time, you have people who do make up allegations um, to bring somebody down. Um, and, like, the only people who know the truth are the people involved, oftentimes. But nevertheless, whenever the public is exposed to those allegations, like all of us, are drawn into like making our own judgments about these things, even when we have no right or basis to make those judgments at all. Um, 
And even when we choose to not make those judgments, we still, you know, have a caution when it comes to the person. Like, Hokshina, like maybe it could be true. Like, even if I don't want it to be true, what if it is? Even if I don't think it is, what if it is? So, you know, all of those those things that introduce doubt into how you uh, understand a person or how you see a person, those things, you know, those are all real things. So I feel that the drama dealt with this premise with the gravity that it deserved so far. Um, and... If we move on from that, then the rest of the story is about uh, the awkward meeting of exes, which, you know, that's that's a whole thing. But actually, I think it's probably like, it, it's probably, I mean, it's meant to be. This is the point of the drama. But it's done really, really well. Um, like, the way that it, uh, it throws everything at you, but in a very... It doesn't throw it at you. It just kind of, it brings it all in. It weaves it all in, in a way that you're just kind of simultaneously like, oh, I get that. And, you know, it's it's painful and mortifying at the same time. Like it's the very beginning of this is you're expecting to be hit with heartache, the, you know, the heartache of meeting your ex if you're still hung up on them. But then there's also the mortification of meeting them while you're not cool and the way that that's made difficult by the fact that they're also old friends and you know what's the function of friends friends are the people that you show your uncool side to but exes the complete opposite so there's this conflict of like their old friendship and their old relationship where they're the person you know because they were best friends they are to each other the people they can show their real unpolished uncool selves to but because of the the former romantic relationship, they're also like the people you want to show your best selves to and you never want to show them your like most embarrassing, cringing self. So <laughs> like there's this really funny um clash of those things that happens like a lot in the initial episodes. Um there's this scene, it's just so silly. <laughs> Because both of them are navigating, finding what is the, like, what is their relationship now? Like, are they exes or are they friends? And there's this very awkward, unmiddle, middle ground there where just there, there's no good way of finding out how to be with each other. So, like, Ji Cheng does this thing where he, like, he shoots finger guns at her. And then later on she turns that back on him and because he's mortified after he's done it i'm getting too granular but but basically like sometimes you need to be friends and especially with you know the friends to lovers to exes when you go back to that relationship like maybe what you need from that person is the friendship and think this is the story that it's telling is that they need each other as friends right now she needs him as a friend right now and like it's not a friends to lovers story, but it does draw out how emotionally precarious those shifts in relationship can be and what it can cost and who it affects beyond the couple itself. Because these two are, you know, they're not an island. <laughs> they are part of a very um or a once very tight, very uh 
loyal to each other friendship group. They're like, you know, um, the Power Rangers of Jeju. And this is, it's just really nicely done. Like the complications of this, the friendship, not just between the two of them, but between the whole group. And like, uh, and it doesn't even matter that she is the only girl and the, like, you know, there are four boys and like, you know, one of them is secretly in love with her and has been for like his whole life or whatever. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it a lot. It's not like a, it's not a dramatic drama. It's also like, it's not exactly slice of life, like things are happening, but it's kind of it takes its time with its emotions and it builds them really nicely and it's uh it's gentle without being boring but it's also making you feel a lot but without it being painful and heavy there's a healingness to it i think like there's an appropriate gravity but there's also like a, a serious examination of relationships in their many facets and that is good <laughs> okay I think I'm gonna leave it there I have talked a lot well I did not expect this to be so long okay um, so that's what I'm gonna leave you guys with I think the next thing you will see us in will be the year-end yak I hope you enjoyed this episode <laughs> don't forget to well time's up now but i hope you did vote in the uh, gogoma awards which we are excited to talk about um i don't have any idea what the results are yet but i'm excited to find out um what else oh well that's it <laughs> that's it you can find us on twitter at dramas overflow you can find me at not now sire you can find us on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore and you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. Our website is dramasoverflowers.net and make sure you sign up for our newsletter either by using the link in the description or by going on over to dramasoverflowers.substack.com. And that's it! That's it, everyone. I hope you are having a good holiday season and taking time off and doing nice things to keep yourself healthy and happy and sane. And we'll see you in 2024, inshallah, I guess. Bye! So this episode was a bit of a gumpjack sommul, a surprise present for all of you, but especially for Borma and Anissa, and especially, especially for Borma, who has ardently encouraged me to try a solo outing beyond Patreon. Also, I forgot her birthday. <laughs> Oops. I was going to leave it where I left it, but as I was rather laboriously editing, I ended up reflecting a bit on things. This was the year of what I call living a new life, very creatively. I tried a lot of new things, so it feels appropriate to send off the old year with one last new thing. <laughs> and also a note of appreciation, no, strike that, a love note to you all, listeners, patrons, friends, for being the flowers in my life and the sweet 
potatoes in my heart. <laughs> but most of all to my twinkling Kajokgatten Chingudo Enisan Boroma, thank you for being the friends I can show my real, uncool, unpolished self to. But also when we're together, making it feel like we're alright. We're as cool as we need to be. Moshike shikshikage. So that's it. See you in the next one, everyone. I'm going to look for cake. Bye then. <laughs>